Well, I'm Erin Bagwell. And I'm Diana Matthews. Welcome to Beaver Talk, the podcast where we give Hollywood unsolicited advice about feminism. In our world, women don't show up for politics the day after the inauguration. People care more about Russian collusion than a couple of non-incriminating emails. And Hillary Clinton is the president of the United States. Join us as we deep dive into all the things that fire us up about film and television. The glorious, the misogynistic, and the groundbreaking. This is Beaver Talk! Diana. Hi, Erin. How are you? I'm good. I feel like we're coming to like the first day of school today with our backpacks and books and papers and pens. I know. It's like I was printing out my homework this morning and I got my books all packed. Our, we have our beautiful um, What Happened Hillary Clinton books and they're all covered in notes and post-its and we are just ready to dive right in notes post-its tears oh my god it's covered (laughs) in it all also you look so beautiful today you're so dressed up in the studio the audience can't see you but diana's got like a cute fall skirt on she's got her little top she's looking great thanks erin well i'm in my like gray black uniform for the winter which is all i wear for once it starts to get cold. I mean, no, just for the record, for all of our Beaver Talk listeners, Erin is wearing a beautiful cable knit dark gray sweater with a black <laughs> shirt underneath and jeans. She looks fabulous as always. Thanks, Diana. You're welcome. How are you doing this morning? I'm good. I'm so excited for today's episode. <sighs> I feel like this has been like a year in the making, this episode, and just being able to dive in and talk about this book and really what this book means and uh, I just there's so much I don't even know where really where to begin I think we just begin at the beginning I think what I'm so excited about for today's episode is it embodies I mean all of our episodes embody why we wanted to start this podcast but this episode truly gets to the heart of the conversations that we were hoping to start with beaver talk Mm -hmm. um most importantly I would say the one that women don't have to explain why they feel the way they feel. Yeah. And they're allowed to just feel the way they feel. Right. Um, And I think Hillary Clinton's book, and Hillary Clinton just in general, and everything that's happened during the election, after the election, the past year, women have had to bury a lot Mm. of emotion. And they've had to just... For sure. And they've had to just swallow it, and they've had to just get over it. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that today, what I mean, my intention with this is to really open up that discussion again from the place of, you know, you're safe here, you're seen here, you're heard here, and we can get in and swim around with all the things that were so painful about what happened last year. Yeah, I mean, that reminds me of a conversation that I had with a friend kind of during the election. And he was like, I just don't understand why she's inspiring. And I felt like my whole body wanted to vomit on (laughs) on him and it's just to your point yeah it's it's been so frustrating to have to explain to people like the historical significance of this and why it's important and why it's valuable and why it should like we shouldn't have to explain why the first you know female nominee of a major party is inspiring it's just it's really insane and I feel like the entire election was was that really explaining to people and really the shaming of women. And we saw that, you know, with the Pantsuit Nation, where people literally felt like they couldn't, you know, be their authentic selves on social media. Like we had to hide in a group. And uh, it's just so crazy. I would love to know. I mean, we've definitely, I think everybody has an election story of kind of where they were, when, and what happened. But you have quite the election story. And I would love for you to tell people, and I'll share as well, kind of what happened. And, um, Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, well, the thing about November 8th last year was that I just remember it being a beautiful, warm fall day. Remember we had lunch together. We had lunch together. Erin was head to toe white in honor of the suffragettes having just cast the vote. I had like full hair and makeup. I was like ready to go. I like cried at the polls. Mm -hmm. Diana is Canadian for those of you who don't know. (laughs) Diana did not vote in this election. Um, but her solidarity was there and we had like a great lunch and it was like such a great, I remember the beginning of the day being, I was like, this is a day I'm always going to remember. Like I just, there was so much love and it was so full. Yeah. I remember meeting up with you and we sat down across from one another and both of our, both of our eyes just filled with tears. 
when we looked at each other and you said to me, I feel like I've just done something. Mm. And I was, I mean, it was so profound and it was so joyful. Yeah. We had just, you know, it felt like we had it anyways, not to go down that trail, but, um, from there I went to the Javits center. Um, and I will say that I was in line about two or three hours after you guys, um, the group that you went with, because I waited for my husband to get out of work. And I was like, I, I do want as much as I want to be in line and, and get in with you guys. I was like, I'll wait for him. I want this to be, you know, a, a moment we tell our children about. Um, so I did. I waited for him and then was, wasn't able to get in. And you were there. Yeah, so we got in and we kind of finessed our way to the press pit, mm-hmm. which is not where we were supposed to be. <laughs> um, and, you know, it was just so crazy. Like all the celebrities walking by, Cecilia Richards, or, yeah, Cecilia Richards from Planned Parenthood walked by, got a picture with her. She thanked us for just living. <laughs> like she like literally thanked us for being women. I'm like obsessed with that woman. Oh, she is. Her interview in Lenny letter is to die for. And it's something she had a friend text her during the Planned Parenthood um, interrogation basically that happened. And her friend texted her and said, may the anger of the thousands of women who have gone before you ground you during this experience. And that's a quote that I like carry with me. And when people are going through it, I really feel and I share um, but that's a great interview for people. They should look it up. Yeah, definitely. She, everything she says, I've never heard, read, or seen her speak where she is just not on fire. Mm-hmm. Um, but also gives so much space to the women in her audience. And that's something that I really love about her. Anyways, it was so surreal. It was just so like, you know, glass ceiling in the Javits Center, the big podium. I can't imagine the joy in that room as well. Oh. Of just the hopefulness and the excitement and, you know, to be there all a flurry with, you know. It almost felt like a graduation. Hmm. It almost had that like, you know, that sincerity where this is like a big day. This is very, I mean, this is one of the biggest days. Um, but also just like so much pride, yeah. so proud of what we were all joining there to celebrate. Um, yeah, it was just beautiful. And like the cast of Scandal walked by <laughs> and I spat on the guy who plays the president. No, I'm just kidding. It's like my least favorite character on that show. Um, but yeah, it was great. And then as the, as the numbers started rolling in, it became less great. Mm-hmm. Um, we started talking to, you know, just the people in the room. One of them had worked on the election, uh, I believe in North Carolina or Ohio. Those are basically the same. Whatever. Um, I'm Canadian. I'm just going to wave my Canadian flag through most of this conversation. But Um, and he was just saying, you know, like all the plans, the plans for the Obamas, the plans here, the plans there. And then when, as the numbers started rolling in, I got concerned when he got concerned, because I don't know a lot about federal, I don't know a lot about your elections. I don't know a lot about how this process goes, but he was starting to deflate like a balloon. Uh Um, and then I was like, okay, this is starting to get a little weird. And the energy just shifted. Wow. A few key states came in. Mm Mm-hmm. And people were, the other thing is like, people were, people were drunk. Like people were celebrating. People were having a party. Like a happy to an ugly drunk is like real, the flip of a switch. Oh. Oh, and that could go down real quick. And it did. Ugly tears. Yeah. Ugly crying. And people consoling each other without there actually being a decision made. Right. That's what was really eerie about it. It's like it was over. Mm. And there wasn't, and there were people who were more comfortable calling it earlier than others. Right. Um, other people were holding on and, you know, really hopeful. Yeah. Um, anyways, so as the night went on, they wanted a whole bunch of people to fill the podium behind the stage um, where she was going to come and concede. Mm-hmm. And we got onto the rafters behind the podium because literally the place cleared out. Nobody was staying. This would have been at like one in the morning. Yeah. Um, and then the, who was the, she talks about him in the book. Who's, is it the lead of the DNC or the, her campaign manager? I don't remember. Um, he comes out at like two 30 in the morning and he says, she's not coming. Everybody go home, go to bed. Um, you know, we can wait for answers till tomorrow. You know, he's trying to like be positive, right. but the writing was on the wall and I just looked up at the glass ceiling and I was just like, wow. 
the room was just filled with... Wasn't Cher with you as well? Cher was with me as well. <laughs> I was watching the TV and I turned around and, and Cher was there with her girlfriends and they were all shaking their heads, wow. staring up at the TV and her eyes were so like glassy. Yeah. And I was like, this is an inappropriate time for a selfie. So I know we're going to meet again. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Um... So we went home. No, we didn't go home. We went to a, a cafe because we were starving. And he accepted the presidency. Wow. Ay, ay, ay. I can't imagine like being there and like the, not the trauma of that, but just the emotional roller coaster. Shock. Yeah. And the shock, especially. Especially because you're just, that you're physically in Manhattan so late at night and then you know, to drudge back is, is so intense. Um, I could not get in. And so I met one of my friends, um, Jess Peterson, who it runs a company called Mighty Oak Animations, um, who's a company we love and has done dream girl animations and things like that. But I met her and her husband and some of her friends, and we ended up going to just a bar in Brooklyn. And, you know, it's, it was interesting because the energy shift wasn't as palpable because the bar was so loud um, and, you know, they had it on all the screens and things like that. And it, the, the celebration was definitely there and kind of in full effect. But the at around like 11, when things started to get a little spooky, <laughs> um, she kind of was way freaking out. And she was like, I need to go home. Like, I can't be here. And I kind of was like, okay, like, you know, I was so I was like, there's no way I even remember doing like a live stream being like we are still in it like and I have no idea like but just totally just like this is not happening like you need to stay like people were texting me like it was like a fury and then um yeah just being at home staying up until four in the morning literally like vodka in a glass like I must have drank like five vodkas just like slugging alcohol and totally sober like to the point where your body is so in process and so like, I don't even know what, like there's nothing to do to numb that. You're just, there's so much coming at you. Yeah. You're so stressed. The alcohol isn't even landing. Exactly. Sal was asleep and just, I can't remember if I like dry heave sobbed that night or the morning after, but the morning after was just a real crazy ride. And, um, I want to get into the book, so I, we won't go on and on about our experiences, but um, I will say something that really helped kind of us through this process, I think, was we released the film for four days and said, you know, I don't know what to do. I feel like we need to do something. And we released the film. We actually had um, over 15,000 people watch it in 80 different countries, which was such a joy to have people feel like they could find the space to connect and feel seen and be inspired. Um, And I think something that I love about the book is that we go right into election night and she really like begins the chapter and begins the tone with like, let's get into it. Like there's such a diving in and there's such a naming of so much that I really, really appreciated. Um, And I think one of my favorite parts of this is that this is just like the craziest thing I've ever heard in my life. Okay. So she, you know, talks about the election basically. And she says, after that first day of laying low, I started to reach out to people. I answered a ton of emails. I returned phone calls. It hurt. There's a reason people isolate themselves when they're suffering. It can be painful to talk about it. Painful to hear the concern in our friends' voices. Like the fact that this woman gave herself a day and then got back to work. I mean, this is the reason that this woman should have been our president. I mean, I cannot even fathom the emotional pain. And if she had disappeared and we never saw her again, nobody would blame her. But the fact that the next day she felt the need and the like concern and the like the caregiving of that is just astounding to me. And that was one of the, I think the, one of the most powerful things that I read was you know, just that she was willing to be there in the, in the healing with us. And yeah. she there, I mean, she didn't have to. Yeah. There's so much, um, servitude with Hillary Clinton. And that's something that just reigned true for me with like, she gets into her background in Arkansas. She gets into, she served at almost every level of government. Um, her obviously relationship with Bill, but what, what rings true for me is 
the service, the dedication she has to other people. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's something that I really loved as well about her, you know, going back into it and having those conversations is she lives in the light, Mm -hmm. you know, this happened and you going back under a rock is not going to change the fact that you lost a major election. Right. And, you know, and all of the caveats that come with that. And so I think I'm sure that, um, and she gets into this in the book is she talks about how healing that ultimately became mm-hmm. was for her to realize how many friends she had in her life and how they were all with her and they all wanted to talk about what happened and they all wanted to get into it with her. And sometimes she left space for those conversations and sometimes she didn't. And they'd talk about their grandkids or they'd talk about um, their vacations or they, you know, like it opened up so much space for real life to start coming back in for her. It sounds like. Yeah. I loved one. She kind of listed off like some of the television shows and the things that people recommended she get into, um, which was really fun. You know, obviously Hillary's a big HGTV fan. Yeah. <laughs> um, her friends recommended, you know, the good wife, um, Friday night lights, which is why I started watching it. I was like, well, if someone's recommending it that Hillary get into it. I should watch yeah, that was a weird, that was a weird moment for you. <laughs> I was waiting for that phase to pass. I was like, okay, well, I think it's passed. I think it's done. Is it? Yeah. That was fast. I, I mean, I watched the first season, the first and a half season. And I was like, I, I know what this is now. I don't need to keep going. Good. Great. I'm sure Hillary <laughs> felt the same way. She gets it. Although, you know, what's really weird is my tattoo artist like has watched like all the seasons. He's like this very like intense man, like dude, bro, like. And was like really obsessed with Friday Night Lights, which really shocked me. Well, it brings something out in people. I mean, when you posted that status about like who else is watching this show, all of your friends were like, yep, 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 yep. Yeah. Everyone just loves it. I've never seen an episode. You know, I don't... I don't think it's for me. I don't think you need to. I think it's it's fine. It's fun. The universe they create is, you know, but no, you don't. Um. Yeah. Going back to the book, (laughs) but riffing off of this, what I really loved right from the outset is giving so much space to Mm self-care and so much space to rest. She talks about sleeping in for the first time because she can do that now. I mean, when they talk about the schedule of the election and like being in a state here and being in a state here and this and that and like trying to touch down so that she can sleep in her bed. I mean, that was the intensity that these candidates go through is really insane. It is. And I think when all of that disappears, it's like, I can't imagine, you would just feel like your whole life was a snow globe. Somebody takes it, shakes it and puts it back down. Like just watching everything fall yeah. around you. Um, and one of the th- quotes that I really love, can I read it sure. from the book? Please. Um, is a letter that she received from a woman in, named Holly in Maryland, Maryland, um, who just wrote to her about guidance and like the next phase after the election of like taking care of herself. And Holly wrote, I hope you will sleep as late as you like and wear your sneakers all day. Get a massage and stand in the sun. Sleep in your own bed and take long walks with your husband. Giggle with your granddaughter and play patty cake with your grandson. Breathe. Think about whether you want strawberries or blueberries with your breakfast, about which Dr. Seuss book to read with your grandchildren. Listen to the wind or Chopin. Aww. And I think that that just, this whole chapter where she gets into, you know, being in her place upstate New York mm-hmm. and just her home and nesting. Yeah. I found so reassuring. I loved hearing the little details too about that home and like how the wallpaper from the white house is like in their bedroom. Like it's just, it had, it felt like it was built with so much love and I would give anything to go into that house. <laughs> I know. I was like, Hillary, invite us up for Thanksgiving. I actually have a friend who's been there. What? I know. Why? I can't disclose this information publicly, but I'll tell you afterwards. Oh my God. When the mics are off, I'm going to need to know. Yeah. It's, it's, I'm sure it's a dream. I think something that really, um, was probably the most devastating part of this book. I mean, there's obviously so many moments where I cried reading it. Um, but was talking about the women's March, Mm. the dagger of the women's March. And I remember feeling this and I'm sure she, obviously she felt it as we're um, kind me. of reading it, but just the devastation of so many people showing up globally after the fact. And and being publicly outraged when they were silenced before. Yeah. And here's, here's like a little uh, a quote I'd like to read. 
Um, she writes, yet I couldn't help but ask where those feelings of solidarity, outrage, and passion had been during the election. And it's like, ugh, like what a dagger. Um, and then this point that, that happens to her, and she kind of describes this, these moments where mothers and daughters come up and apologize to her. And they apologize for not voting. And she writes, you didn't vote. You abdicated your responsibility as, as a citizen at the worst possible time. And now you want me to make you feel better? You know, these people were looking for absolution that I just couldn't give. We all have to live with the consequences of our decisions. So like, not only did you not vote, now you want me to carry the burden of like your guilt and your shame? Like, get out of here. I thought that was such a powerful thing for her to name. And I hope nobody does that to her again. Like, you need to deal with your own. You need to do the work on your own emotions and why you didn't show up that day. Like, do not bring it to this woman who has done enough. That was insane. Yeah, I think that, you know, we just constantly want... It's like we're shaking Hillary Clinton's hand and smacking her with the other one. Like, it's like... And that's such an example of it is, you know, she talks about like the 20-year-old. This would have been that woman's first election, the 20-year-old who comes up to her. Voting for a woman in your first election? Like, what are you talking about? I think it's so... It's and just, I think this is like, this comes back to like a systematic problem, like within feminism or within like just the way we teach um, women history. It's like, I remember my first election and I had friends who didn't vote. And I remember thinking to them, like, it really wasn't that long ago that we got this right. And like, I know that you don't feel like you, you know, you're, you feel privileged enough that it doesn't matter. And that like, you can, or you can, and we live in a liberal state, yada, yada, yada. But like, you need to show up for your demographic. Like you need to show that, you know, our voices matter and that like, yeah, we might be in this state that leans a certain way, but like, how can you not express your right? And I think that's something that, you know, we don't really talk about women's history in the same, with the same space that we do, you know, our general men's history, which is really American history. Um, and it's really heartbreaking to think that some women you know, not only felt the need not to vote, but then not to vote for this woman. It's like, especially when, and we can obviously talk about kind of the systematic problem with white women in this election. It's like women of color got in line, black women got in formation. And the fact that we feel privileged enough as white women to just let this moment in history pass us by is like, I have no words, I'm speechless about it. It's so upsetting. Yeah, Um, when I went to Women in the World and the, organizers of the women's march were there speaking um one of them talked about how you know before i think it was october 28th or 29th mm-hmm. hillary clinton would, would have won the election and of course jamie or comey put out um the letter fuck comey right fuck comey when you are reading this book and you read on and on and on and the emails are three times like what anybody talked about fuck you comey fuck him so mad about him he's the what happened he fucking happened he happened. He got a book deal, so ah! can, I'll get it for you. Um, <laughs> yes, get it for me so I can fucking burn it. We can do a seance. Oh, my God. We can cast a spell. Oh, I, I have my aunt, Chrissy, <laughs> is a white witch. Have I told you about her? Yes. And she, we will get all the spells for this man. Oh, my gosh. I'm ready can't to wait. do I, Although she only does good spells. Don't we just think karma is going to take care of him, though? <sighs> Anyways. Going back to the Sorry, women's march. Yeah. Oh, no, that's fine. <laughs> that's a, that's a drop-down menu and, unto itself. Um, but they talked about how, you know, before the end of October, she had it. Mm-hmm. And so and she's a she was a black woman, and she was talking about how the conversations she was having on Labor Day on the long weekend. And she said, what were you talking about with your friends? What? Because she said she went over to her aunt's house for dinner, and her aunt was said, are you registered to vote? Are you registered to vote? Are you registered to vote? Who are you voting for? get information and i just think about like yeah what conversations were we having how much were we taking for granted how much were we not naming how much were we not digging into with our friends how much were we not we weren't allowing ourselves to have those conversations because we were all so exhausted Mm -hmm. and that's not okay yeah also it's interesting i feel like generationally you know i don't want to like speak to like a whole generation but i do feel like because of the way we were brought up and because of social media like it's it's pretty common for us to have political conversations and for us to share and voice things and it's interesting like my mom and her friends they they can allow this division to occur 
where like they'll talk about stuff, they won't talk about stuff, it's important, it's not important. And the it's almost like, you know, how you don't talk about like money in politics, that that like cliche. Mm-hmm. It's like they I think some of them really still believe that. And I I don't think our generation does by any means, but it's interesting. I feel like that that separation of like, is it appropriate to talk about politics? You know, I think that's still something that's looming over people. And I think just the privilege of, you know, white people to say like, you know, well, if these things happen, if the wall happens or if the Muslim ban happens, I'm not going to be affected. So I think there is such a, you know, a, a disconnect between a allowing something like this to happen and not feeling the urgency of it because we don't feel as affected, which is absolutely bullshit, by the way. Like we are we are all in this you know, more than like, even now, like more than we ever knew, you know, our rights as women, our rights, I mean, just across the board, everybody's fucked. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and if ever people just want to think that, you know, the person sitting in the Oval Office doesn't have any p- actual power and there's all this system of checks and balances, this is a prime, uh, the last year is a prime example of how that's not the case. You, like we need to be taking these elections very seriously. We need to be, I feel like our generation downplays the role of the president because now we have so much information. We have so many different voices coming in all the time. There isn't that kind of reverence mm-hmm. for um, political leaders that there once was, um, understandably when you see who the president is, but I mean, I will say too, like, you know, obviously we we're talking about so much in the negative and we are now seeing like within the political party, the positive of, you know, people coming up and showing up. Like I voted in the primaries for the first time. So I think we're, we're showing up and we're showing our numbers and we've had, you know, transgender people had a very historical moment with this um, local election, you know, it, on and on too. I think there was first um, women of color in certain spaces, first Seek person. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we, the movement is, is moving forward for sure. But I mean, it was, it kind of felt like we were reliving it all in a certain way by reading the book, which it felt cathartic. It didn't feel heavy or sad. It felt like it needed to be said. And I felt very seen in the work. Yeah, I will say I read this book because I wanted to read this book and I was very prepared to, um, there was something so reassuring about hearing from Hillary Clinton that a sexism played a role in this election, mm-hmm. that women constantly struggle to find meaningful representation, that you are not making shit up in your head. Microaggressions exist absolutely everywhere from everywhere from a bar to the Oval Office. Mm-hmm. And the, I mean, it sounds so simple and it sounds so obvious, but there's something so profound about Hillary Clinton saying these things and naming these things and that you're not making it up. These are real problems. And for me, sisterhood is my favorite section of the book where she gets into women in politics. She gets into her role as a mother, as a daughter, oh as God. a grandmother. And she talks about being a mother. I was like crying. She quotes her... Cheryl Strayed. Oh my God. Everything about it was just so, so lovely. Yeah. There's so much permission granting. And I, I love the way she talks about her story as being one of revolution because all women's stories are ones of revolution. I love too. There was a section where she just listed off her accomplishments and I was like, yes, queen, like, go, like name it, name it, name it. Because there is something that was interesting with this election is she really, I felt like the branding of her being the first, um, woman president, they, they kind of didn't dive all the way in, you know, with how historical her work has just been. And that was, I thought it was a shame and I'm glad that they named that in the book. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. I also think that, um, you know, I love when the, she names in the book uh, that being a female candidate, she had conversations with people that she may not otherwise have had if she were a man. Mm-hmm. And people felt comfortable coming up to her and disclosing, you know, really personal, intimate details. Like when she talks about one man coming up to her and he came to her rally, but his daughter is, uh, she's in the hospital with cancer and he talks about how scared he is for her. And, you know, he doesn't really talk about anything that, you know, Hillary Clinton's talked about. He just wanted to share that with her mm-hmm. and he just wanted to talk with her about it. And I love, you know, she names a whole bunch of these interactions that she has with people where women come up to her and talk about their sexual assault or, you know, she's just trusted with so much information. Mm-hmm. And I loved that piece because one of her mandates is in order for women to have more representation in politics, more women have to get into politics. Mm -hmm. And I think for, you know, naming that 
as a female candidate, she had to all these incredible conversations and incredible connections with people on the campaign trail. I know there are so many incredible women who should be in politics, should be leaders of parties, but are also empaths mm-hmm. who can bring that energy and really change the face of representation in a, in a profound way and the industry of politics. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I thought it was interesting. She wrote um, kind of about the myth of people feeling like they didn't know her. And kind of the struggle that she felt of, you know, at one point she writes, what more do you need? What, what, what could I do to be more real? Dance on a table, wear a blue streak, break down sobbing. That's not me. And if I'd done those things, what would have happened? I would have been ripped to pieces. This kind of myth of, you know, this woman that we feel like we know, um, but who also like has normal boundaries around what like she shares with us. And I thought that was something that I think just being the first you know, whether it was Hillary or anybody else would, and, you know, will continue to happen to women until we, you know, break that glass ceiling. It's just the, the horrible um, judgment that goes on. And Meryl Streep talked about this. I think it was the last woman of the world when she introduced Hillary is like, she's all of us. And these are the things that are going to happen. And this is how she's going to feel. And this is like, we're always going to question, is she really enough? And that's something that obviously we have never done with our (laughs) current um, president and, you know, that we don't hold the, our male candidates to the same standards. I mean, she's never enough until she's too much. Yeah. And that's something that, I mean, I was not surprised, but as soon as she released this book, everyone was like, are you kidding me? It's been less than a year. Shut up and get over it. Go away. Go on holiday. Why did you write this book? Why are you talking about this? Why do we even need to have this published? So not only was she not enough to be the president in many people's eyes, now she's too much. Now she's too in your face. It's interesting, too, because I bought the book in an airport. Um, I think I I don't remember where I was. You were coming back from San Diego. Was it San Diego or Ottawa? No, San Diego. You texted me. Okay. So and I even like buying the book, like I felt not like ashamed, but I I did feel that energy of like, oh, can I walk around the airport with this book? Like, can I be, you know what I mean? Or sit at a bar and, and, you know, and peel this open. And I was like, wow, like this is, and you know, having that conversation in my head, I was like, well, yes, I can. Um, And yes, I will. And it's interesting. We continue to shame women for sharing their experiences. And obviously, I mean, if Donald Trump, you know, had not won the election, he would have put out like 15,000 books. And, and a TV and show he, and a production company. Oh my God. <laughs> and we would have all like, okay. And, you know, threw that into like the, you know, whatever culture. But yeah, it's so interesting that we don't want to do anything. I mean, it's funny. It's crazy. It's funny you name the energy you felt buying the book. I, I felt the same way and I bought it in Manhattan. Oh, really? Um, her stomping grounds. And I was like, what am I taking on? Mm. Who's going to, what, what are people going to say to me? What looks are, am I going to get on the train? Yeah. For reading a book right. by the first female candidate of in, a major political party. In New York City. In New York City. Right. And I think this gets into a really interesting part that I want to talk with you about. And I'm like sincerely very curious about this. Mm-hmm. Because when I was reading about the book this week and reading online and reading Goodreads, um, people hated it. People really hated this book Mm. and they hated it for all the reasons that I loved it. Okay. I was prepared to love this book. Like I want to name off on the offset. I'm a huge Hillary Clinton fan and she, she means a lot to me. Yeah. Um, I think that's pretty obvious from this conversation, (laughs) but thank you for naming it. But there's always that shame and there's always that like caveat with her. And I I want to like get it on the table that like, Mm -hmm. I loved this book because I love her story. Yeah. Um, and I think it was a very important story that needed to be told. And she did it in a really honest way. Mm -hmm. Um, People felt the exact opposite. And I think that, you know, there's so many haters. I was, I was fully expecting that. That was not surprising to me. Mm -hmm. When I was going through Goodreads and I was looking at the reviews, one woman posted, I just pre-ordered this book and I'm already giving it five stars because I know it's going to get, it's going to offset all the one stars. Or there are people saying, you know, I'm posting this, um, review five times because I know I need to outshout all of you other people. Mm-hmm. There's still so much shame and there's yeah. so much, you know what you're taking on buying Hillary Clinton's book. You know, mm-hmm. people are going to hate you, hate it, hate her. Yeah. There's so much hate. And I want to honestly ask you, why do you think Hillary Clinton brings out so much anger with people? Why do you think there's so many people who just give you dirty looks on the train 
give you dirty looks when you're reading the book. That kind of, like, what is it about this woman? I, I, this is, I, this is a very general thing to say, but I think that America hates women. I think that we hate women who want to take up space and want power and want equality. And I think it manifests, this is obviously a very general thing to say, um, but I think it manifests in like this anxiety and this hatred and this lock her up, put her in prison. Like, how dare this woman, who's the most qualified candidate in history, have the audacity to think she can be the president? I mean, there's such a visceral anger that it boils out in people because I think we are truly a misogynistic patriarchy patriarchal culture and I think we are so afraid of women and I think that fear manifests into hate and it manifests into you know all of the the shame and the guilt so that women who do want to take up those spaces and do want to be seen and do want to be leaders in their industries or in their lives you know have to hide I think it's it's a real problem and I think it's interesting this has given us historically a timestamp to understand where misogyny is in our culture and obviously we're seeing it with harvey weinstein i mean this is we're in a really weird unprecedented and maybe that's like an egotistical thing to say unprecedented because we've been through as a culture these ups and downs but it is a really interesting time to be a person (laughs) right now and i think it's and we know statistically that when women ask for power they are hated their approval ratings go down but when women have power they are loved and so this asking for it and we know this from even the lower levels. When you're in a job interview, you say the word we. You want a promotion, you say the word we as a woman. You don't say I, because I sounds like you're too ambitious. I mean, we know the subconscious bias that people carry, you know, from the lowest levels of, you know, their career. So of course this woman who, you know, has the audacity again, you know, to think she can be a president, it brings out such a I think it's fear. I think that is the big thing it brings out into people. Mm. And it's so, and I feel the same way. Like I wear my, I'm with her shirt, you know, and I'm going to the gym or wherever. And in Brooklyn, in my safe space, in my affluent Brooklyn neighborhood. And I still feel like, like, am I just going to look like a basic white bitch? Like what's going, you know what I mean? We carry that with us. Um, which is a real, is just something we need to like work on. And then I like what you said about like, let's, let's not take that on. Like that's somebody else's, you know, stuff that they need to carry. Yeah, but it all it is projected onto us in in very hateful and sometimes violent ways. For sure. And I think one of the things that Hillary talked about in her concession speech is she named the Pantsuit Nation, mm-hmm. and she said, you know, this was and this to her credit, this was under all of the accomplishments of the election, as she talked about the birth of this beautiful community online. Yeah. Um, and she talked about you know, but come out, come out from under the private settings come out from under um, the aliases come out from these spaces that you've had to hide yourself in out of shame. Yeah. And let's step into the next phase. Let's step into the resistance. Let's step into the movement. Do you think women have done that? Well, you know, it's interesting, like even thinking about my experience with the election, like I had some, you know, I have family members that live all over, you know, the States and have all different kinds of um, political backgrounds. And I remember getting trolled by somebody in my family, like nasty, swearing, trolling, like to the point where my mother had to have a conversation with that person. Like I unfriended them. So to your point of like, it's not to the, this, the shame is not unfounded because sometimes we're put in these positions where we're being attacked for, for nothing. Absolutely. Um, and this election, especially we saw so many trolls and, you know, even with like the Bernie bros, and like the shame of being part of the same party. I mean, that I think to me was one of the most painful parts of this was that, you know, as Hillary names in the book, you know, Republicans get in line and Democrats fall in love. And the fact that we've, you know, continued to fight against our own and that we saw him drag his feet about conceding and the ego of that. And like, have you heard his um, interview with Alec Baldwin? No. Bernie Sanders. He talks about how he didn't want to be president. He talks about how his main objective was to push the Democratic Party to be more socialist, which, you know, is great. But at a certain point, we need to look at the big picture. And I feel like his ego for sure was like, oh, he didn't think he could win it. And then all of a sudden he did. And then it became this like, oh, it's just it's it's really horrible. Um, 
and I have no love for Bernie Sanders and, and the way that this has all rolled out and the way that, you know, to your point, even about feeling shame from Trump supporters, then, then we felt it from the Bernie bros and like kind of this really aggressive, um, I don't know, obnoxious behavior about like, well, why do you like this woman? Like it felt so challenged yeah. constantly from, from all sides. And I don't know, I think people are kind of, to your question, like, are people coming out and being more open? I think to a certain degree, because we're not having to, like, justify it anymore. You know, we know the damage that Trump has caused. And so I think people feel a little bit more comfortable. But, like, if we're in a situation where it's like, should we be attacked constantly or hide in a Facebook group? Like, you know, you just got to do what you got to do. Yeah, I don't think people understand and I and it's only been a year mm-hmm. and I think that, you know these the changes are really slow and it's three steps back four three steps forward four steps back kind of thing um but I remember posting a quote from her concession speech about all little girls are absolutely deserving of every opportunity in the world and mm-hmm. I get chills just thinking about it um and somebody immediately wrote Benghazi <gasps> in the comments <laughs> I can laugh about it now, but it just felt like, and I don't even post on Facebook. I literally never post wow. anything. And I felt so sad. I've never felt so just, I was just in despair watching her. Mm-hmm. And when she talked to all the little girls um, and really just passed the torch to be like, I did the best I could to pave my way for you. And now yeah. you got to You got to take it and run with it. And the fact somebody commented on my status with that, I was just like, it's truly never over, you know? Absolutely. We're never going to just be allowed to have our space to grieve or to celebrate or to talk about things. We're constantly under attack. I'm going to quote the book here. Quote it. In the words of Secretary Clinton, never doubt that you are valuable and powerful and deserving of every chance in the world to pursue your dreams. You are rare and unique. Let yourself be flawed. Go proudly and confidently in the world with your blinding cues to show everyone who's boss and break every glass ceiling that still remains. What do we do now? Keep going. A moment of silence. (laughs) It hurts so bad. I know. Um, I think also the big thing that I want to name with this and why women, you know, whether or not, you know, maybe you voted for Bernie Sanders all the way up to when you voted for Hillary Clinton, or maybe you weren't really set on Hillary Clinton, but voted for her strategically, or maybe you've loved Hillary Clinton forever. I think that what this election showed more than anything is just the old sod of you can be the most qualified person in the room. Mm -hmm. And there's a man who's less qualified, completely unqualified in some cases like this, who will come and take the job from you. Mm-hmm. And I think this just stood for that. You know, that's become such a, it's almost become like a feminist cliche. Right. Um, and I think that for me, when he won, I was just like, oh, that's actually, this is the embodiment of it. This is the biggest example possible, the biggest, loudest, most boisterous example you can get of that. Mm-hmm. That you can be the most shining bright star candidate as humanly possible and you still won't get the job because you're a woman. Yeah, and I will say, like, something that really I, I totally hear you, and I think right now, like, our, our job as, you know, women and as people and as allies and activists is to, like, be the most radical versions of ourselves and to live so authentically. And I think that it's such an act of rebellion, you know, for you to just be as a feminist or as a gay person or as a person of color, to just live out loud and to use your voice and to scream it as loud as possible is so important. Like, to, to take up space... And to, and to not minimize anyone else's space, but just like we, if we don't have these, you know, constant stories and experiences and, you know, places to be, it's like, then we just get swallowed in like the status quo and that can no longer be acceptable. Um, I will say too, something that really shocked me after this election, and I know that this happened with you too, is I had a lot of men in my life reach out to me and check in on me. Yeah. And I thought that was one of the really, um, was a really beautiful thing that happened. And then I was really shocked about and really um, felt a lot of love from the men and the allies in my life who were just like, hey, how are you? I hope you're okay. I'm sending you love. Like, like out of the blue, like wonderful messages and phone calls. I mean, it was really something. 
Yeah, I got a message from one of my good friends in Calgary who actually just came uh, through New York last week. Um, and he said to me, you know, you must be devastated. I know the work that you're doing with Dream Girl. I know the work that you want to do as a person on this earth. I know <laughs> what you want to do for women. And this must have hit so hard. And he said to me, I, I know you've talked about how you were meant to move to New York when you did because you wanted you were going to work under Hillary Clinton's presidency. And he said, but I think your work is going to be more important under Trump. And I know you can't see that right now. And he's like, but you're meant to be there now because of what's happened today. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, I, I felt so, it was so beautiful for him to just name it like that for me and for him to feel the need to say it to me, you know, like people taking time out to come together and to really see one another in their pain and their trauma and to see women. Yeah. And how women were very, very affected by this. <sighs> totally. I feel like something that I want to kind of dive into as we're kind of closing is like the act of um, activism as a form of self-care mm. and an act of the, the work. I was um, talking to somebody the other day and they were saying that like, you know, it's one thing for us to all like, you know, have these really big emotions and you know, these feelings and like those can fester in two ways. It can either move into like a space of depression mm -hmm. or it can move into a space of activism. If you're not expressing and outwardly processing the feelings and the emotion that you're going through, um, it can lead you down a rather dark and dismal. And, you know, as we're kind of in this new cycle, even a year later, it can still feel really heavy. Mm -hmm. And so kind of just reminding people that, you know, any kind of act of, expression is is such a powerful tool and it's it's a real um I don't know we have the privilege to do it and I think we need to take up that space more and to just continue to encourage people to like you know use their voices and like specifically using their voices to like create or to join a you know a rally or to like get out of their do you know what I mean like what can you do right now you know to like bring yourself you know, peace and calm and feel like you're moving forward because that's the thing. If you, if you're complacent and if you're kind of just wallowing in this space and you're not actually doing something, you're not going to feel better. Mm -hmm. And it's, I think that's always something that's really surprises me about activism is like people think like, you know, being a feminist or like going to like rallies or doing stuff like that is such a heaviness. It's not, it's such a, it's such a gift and you feel so connected with people when you're out in the streets with them. Like it's truly transformative. And so I think people, you know, I would just like our listeners to really think about that and think about what they can do, like what action they can take right now. You know, whether it's mentoring somebody, it's taking a call you wouldn't take, you know, it's making time or space for yourself too, but do something. Yeah. I think one of the things that I, someone said to me is, and it sounds like a bad cliche now, but make the thing that you wish existed in the world. Mm -hmm write the piece of music, play the guitar riff, make a podcast, write the article, write a poem, make a painting, go to a rally, like create a conversation, do the thing that you wish somebody would do. Like be brave enough to take that step, maybe get outside of your comfort zone a little bit. It probably will require you to get outside of your comfort zone. Um, but know that you're going to be met and know that there are communities for you. And, and one of the communities that, you know, if you feel like you don't have a space that you can do this in is Aaron and I run a group called the Dream Girl Network, um, where it's, you know, a community of like-minded people who love to share inspiration, love to create conversations, love to just hold space for one another. And we are always, always open to having new people join. So if you feel like, you know, you don't maybe have a community that you can do these things with, then we want you to be a part of our community. Absolutely. And to that point, like, you know, Feminist Wednesday, we publish articles every Wednesday. If you have a story or an experience where you want us to promote something, send it to me and I will. Yeah, absolutely. I will say, Erin, that you were a big part of um, an essential part of what kind of got me through the trauma of last November. Mm. And you when I came into the office and you were like, we're putting the film up <laughs> online and we're giving it for free. And I said, well, we run a sales team. So how smart is this? <laughs> um, it, it did everything for me and it, it really gave me purpose. And I think that that's something that a lot of people struggle with still to this day. And Hillary talks about this in the book is the lack of the purposelessness. Mm. Like what, what am I doing? Yeah. What am I contributing? What can I do? 
it all feels so big and so over there in Washington, D.C. I don't know what I can contribute to this. And I think that um, you just have to start giving what you got. Absolutely. Lean into the work you're already doing. Yes. For sure. Well, thank you, Diana. This has been so lovely. Always, always, always happy to talk about Hillary Rodham Clinton. Love it. Thanks, Kent, for bearing witness to our souls this morning. Um, yeah, we'll leave it there. Thanks, Erin. Okay. Bye, Diana. Bye. And to all the little girls who are watching this, never doubt that you are valuable and powerful and deserving of every chance and opportunity in the world to pursue and achieve your own dreams. Finally. Finally, I am so grateful for our country and for all it has given to me. I count my blessings every single day that I am an American. And I still believe, as deeply as I ever have, that if we stand together and work together with respect for our differences, strength in our convictions, and love for this nation, our best days are still ahead of us. Attention Springwood, my name is Josh Krebs. And I'm Liz Richards. And we're the hosts of Bloody Date Night. So Josh and I have been dating for four years and Josh loves horror movies and I hate him. Yeah, so each episode we go through the horror movie franchise canon to watch an episode and then meet up and we discuss it together. And so far it's been going pretty well, right Liz? I think it's gone pretty well so far. Yeah, each episode I try to see how far I can push Liz to watch a really good horror movie until she basically leaves me and it hasn't worked yet. Not yet. And it's awesome because you're the Tatum to my Sydney. You're sweet. And here's a clip from one of our recent episodes. Hello, I'm Exposition. Hey, let me let me tell you what just happened. There's a break-in at this costume store. Somebody stole some ropes, some knives. Somebody stole a mask. They stole $250. They scared a cat. They took two boas. They took two boas. Two feather boas, one I, set of angel wings. It's one of those goddamn... They're probably having a burlesque. <laughs> probably doing a burlesque show later. I don't know. Oh, Haddonfield. What isn't happening? Haddonfield's first burlesque <laughs> club. That'd be amazing. I would love that. Um, the Lacey Pumpkin. The Lacey... Ooh. This has been an Atlantic Transmission production.